unto Jerusalem, and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. He prophesied that he would rise from the dead. Next, turn to Mark 9 and verse 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 9. In Mark 9, 9, 9, as he, Peter, James, and John came down from the Mount of the Transfiguration, we read these words, And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. Next look at Luke 18, 32 and 33. We're looking at scriptures where the Lord prophesied his own resurrection. Luke chapter 18, verses 32 and 33. <clears throat> Here the Lord Jesus said, For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Well, in this study this morning, we're going to look closely at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So first of all, let's look at the fact of Christ's resurrection. When we read the text for this message, we saw that great majesty surrounded Christ's resurrection. Verse 2 tells us that an earthquake, and, and it says a great earthquake occurred. Chapter 27, verses 52 and 53 tell us that many dead saints arose from the dead at that time. Let's turn to that. Uh, Matthew 27, 52 and 53 always been an amazing thing to, to me to think about how that all those dead saints arose and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Those resurrected saints were seen by many in Jerusalem, who thought that they would not see those people again until eternity. What an amazing thing that must have been. Second, uh, or thirdly, verse 3 of our text says, An angel whose countenance was like lightning and whose clothing sparkled and shined caused the Roman guards at the tomb to shake and become as dead men. These enemies of Christ felt great terror here. They quailed, to use an old word, meaning their courage melted at the appearance of God's angel. Human frailty just could not stand such a sight. It was only fitting that the earth should shake and an angel appear and the Roman guards shrink with fear when Jesus Christ came out of the grave. Now what exactly does God's word mean 
when it says that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What exactly happened when he arose? Well, when God's word says that Christ arose from the dead, it means that his body was changed from a dead body to a living body. His body. Jesus Christ came back from the dead with a real, true, and material body. Christ's resurrection body was flesh and bones. It was not a spirit. You don't have to look very far to find people who will tell you, well, I believe the spirit of Christ rose from the dead. No, it doesn't say the spirit of Christ. It says his body. His resurrection body could be both seen and handled. That body was the same identical body that he had before he was crucified because it still had the nail prints and the spear mark in it. The Lord Jesus himself testified to his disciples in Luke 24, 39 that it was his body that came out of the grave. Let's turn to that. Luke 24, 39. Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. And see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. You know, that one verse ought to settle that matter of the bodily resurrection once for all, see. On page 122 of their book, Let God Be True, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that, quote, Jesus was put to death in the flesh and was raised an invisible spirit creature, unquote. Now where did they get that? Sure didn't get it in these verses we've been looking at. In their Watchtower magazine, 1953, page 314, they say that after the Lord's death, quote, Jesus materialized his body so his disciples would believe, but it was not the same body that hung on the cross, unquote. Any question as to why we call them a cult? Here's another one, page 129 of Studies in the Scriptures. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, quote, whether that body was dissolved into gases or has been preserved somewhere as a grand memorial of God's love, of Christ's obedience, and of our redemption, no one knows, unquote. The problem that these people have is this. If Christ had another body or a new body after his resurrection, it would not be a resurrection. It would be a creation. If one thing is buried and another thing is raised, that cannot be a resurrection by the very nature of the case. It is the body that was buried and thus it was the body of Christ that rose from the dead. Wilbur M. Smith, in his book, The Supernaturalness of Christ, 
said on page 194, quote, that which rose again is that which was buried. A spirit is never buried, unquote. Those persons whom Christ raised from the dead during his earthly ministry were raised bodily, not spiritually. Turn to Luke 7, 14 and 15. Here we read of Christ raising the son of the widow of Nain from the dead. Luke 7, 14 and 15. And he came and touched the beard. That's the table that they carried dead bodies on. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Obviously, it was this young man's body that came back to life. Why then should not Christ be raised bodily from the dead? Is there any actual evidence to prove that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? I've heard people talk about, well, there's no evidence. Well, there's as much valid evidence of Christ's resurrection as there is for any event in history. Now think about it. B.B. Warfield said, quote, the resurrection of Christ is the most certain fact in the history of the world attested as it is by evangelists and apostles, by Paul himself, and the 500 brethren whom he summons as co-witnesses with him, unquote. Luke says in Acts 1-3 that there are many infallible proofs of the Lord's resurrection. Let's look at that one. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Acts 1 verse 3. to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The uh, Greek word that's translated infallible proof, proofs here in Acts 3 is the word tekmerion. Plato used this term to express the strongest possible logical proof. Infallible proofs. That means he meant the strongest possible logical proof. Aristotle used this word to speak of demonstrative evidence. We have many infallible proofs that after his resurrection, Jesus Christ was alive that it was actually him and not someone else and not some spirit whom the disciples saw. Now what are some of these in many infallible proofs that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Well, I, let's look at a few of them here, five to be exact. First of all, there's the empty tomb of which our text tells us in Matthew 28, 6, if you turn back to the text there, Matthew 28, 6. 
the angel says to the two Marys here, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. The tomb was empty and the body was gone. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then where is the body? Where was the body and where is the body? All other religious founders and leaders have died and we know where they're buried. But the tomb of the Lord Jesus is empty. In a sermon in some Christian magazine, Frank Beck, who wrote that really good little pamphlet about the five points of Calvinism, said, quote, Catholicism may rejoice in finding some old bones in Rome that are thought to be those of Peter, but no one will ever find the bones of the founder of the true churches because he is risen from the dead, unquote. The second infallible proof of Christ's resurrection from the dead is seen in the attempts of the Jews to prevent that resurrection. <laughs> you know, that's laughable, isn't it? Think about trying to prevent a resurrection, Christ's resurrection. Matthew 27, 62 through 66, and we'll not read that here, but it, it tells us that the Jewish priests and Pharisees determined to make Christ's resurrection impossible. They went to Pilate. They procured a squad of Roman soldiers to guard the tomb. Boy, the Roman army ought to be able to stop it, shouldn't it? Then they set a watch over the tomb and got Pilate to place the seal of Rome on that tomb. You know, if you broke the seal of Rome, that was automatic death penalty. So they put the seal of Rome on the Lord's tomb. There was no way, therefore, that the Lord's body could have been stolen. Little did these people think who did these things that they were actually providing complete evidence of the truth that Christ rose from the dead. They were actually making it impossible to prove that there was deception involved in the Lord's resurrection. Soon, all these actions of the Jews became witnesses and proofs that Jesus Christ had risen indeed. Because in spite of all of these measures, Jesus Christ came back to life and he came out of that tomb. The grave could not hold him. Here was a classic example of God's sovereignty over providence. That he can turn the wicked acts of men to promote his own purpose. A third infallible proof. This great fact of Christ's resurrection was announced by angels from heaven. In verse 6 of our text in Matthew 28, the angel said, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. In Luke 24, 5, some angels said to the women who had come to the Lord's grave, why seek ye the living among the dead? Angels from heaven testified to Christ's resurrection. It's interesting and significant that angels were the first to announce Christ's birth 
And the angels were also the first to announce his resurrection. A fourth infallible proof of the Lord's resurrection is the large number of witnesses who saw the risen Lord. Now, you know, in a court of law, two witnesses pretty well clinches a matter. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 6 about these witnesses to Christ's resurrection. Let's turn to it, see how many witnesses there were. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 6. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, more than 500 people, of whom the greater part remained to the present, that is, while he was writing this, they were still alive, but some are fallen asleep, some have died. After the resurrection, the Lord Jesus was seen at least 11 times over nearly six weeks. These appearances were at different times of the day, in different ways, and to different witnesses. The risen Lord showed himself to a number of selected disciples by many infallible proofs that he was alive and that he was the same person who had been crucified. Those Think about this. Those to whom he appeared touched him. And they talked with him. And they saw him. They watched him eat and drink. Luke 24, 42 and 43 says that the Lord ate broiled fish and a an honeycomb. And he did so before several witnesses. Let's turn to that. Luke 24, 42 and 43. Luke 24, 42 and 43. And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. So he ate and drank material food. What stronger evidence could possibly be supplied that he was risen in a real body. A fifth infallible proof of the Lord's resurrection is the existence of the Lord's day today. We had a conversation about this last Sunday at, uh, at the dinner, I believe it was. Why is Sunday now the Sabbath instead of Saturday? Why do we now worship on Sunday the first day of the week? The only answer is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus on that day. From the very first, believers in Christ have called the first day of the week the Lord's Day and have met on that day to worship the risen, victorious Christ. You know, I like to say every Sunday is Easter Sunday, meaning we celebrate the Lord's resurrection every Sunday because Sunday is the Lord's day and it commemorates his resurrection. Acts 20 and verse 7 says that at Troas, 
Paul worshiped with the believers there on the first day of the week. In Revelation 1.10, the Apostle John says it was on the Lord's day that the Lord Jesus gave him the book of Revelation. And it's been the continuous practice of Christians clear up to this very day to worship our risen Savior on the first day of the week, the day upon which he arose from the dead. Now we acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ once every week on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. So, very few historical events are as well documented as the Lord's resurrection from the dead. Therefore, one who is not convinced by these many infallible proofs is just determined not to believe. He's just determined not to believe. Well, let's look in the second place in this study at the significance of Christ's resurrection. The significance of Christ's resurrection. Why is it important? First of all, the resurrection of Christ is significant because it proves his deity. Today's theological liberals, as well as admitted unbelievers, deny the deity of Christ. They say he is not God, but only a good man and a great teacher. Some even say he never claimed to be God. But during his earthly ministry, he claimed to be equal with God and to be the great I Am, or Jehovah God. Uh, let's turn to John 8:58. I think this is a much overlooked scripture as far as its meaning is concerned. John 8, verse 58. Here he's claiming to be Jehovah God. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. The word, the name Jehovah means I am. It means the self-existent one. The Lord even claimed to have power to raise himself from the dead. He said this in John 10, 17 and 18. Look at John 10, a page or two over there. 17 and 18. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, some time ago, we talked about syllogisms. Remember that $2 word, syllogisms. A plus B equals C. A, only God can raise the dead. B, Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. C, therefore, Jesus Christ is God. Let me run that by you again. That's a, that's a biblical syllogism. Only God can raise the dead. Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. Therefore, Jesus Christ is God. 
Christ's resurrection proves his deity. Turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul says here in the latter part of this verse that Jesus Christ was, quote, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. What declared him to be God? To be God the Son. Paul says it was the resurrection from the dead. Second, Christ, we're talking about the significance of Christ's resurrection. Christ's resurrection proves that he has power over life itself. Turn to John 2, 19 through 22. John chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 19 through 22. Here the Lord Jesus claimed that he would raise himself from the dead. Thus he had the power to do so. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now look at John ten seventeen. Again, the Lord Jesus claimed to have power over his own life. John 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. He did die, and he did raise himself from the dead. Therefore, he has power over life itself. I am the resurrection and the life, he says in John eleven twenty five. Look what the risen Christ says about this in Revelation 1.18. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. The Lord Jesus is speaking here. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And here's the part and have the keys of hell and of death. That means he's got the power of life and death. If Christ rose from the dead, he is Lord of the dead and of the living, and he has the keys of death and of hell. A third significance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the fact that his resurrection is God's stamp of approval on his redemptive work. His resurrection proves that his righteous life and his substitutionary death 
satisfied God's law and God's justice for his people. By raising Christ from the dead, God the Father has signified that he is well pleased with Christ and his suffering and death, and that he has accepted it as full satisfaction for his people. It proves God has accepted Christ's work as surety. In raising Christ from the dead, the Father publicly testified of his satisfaction with Christ's redemptive work. And this is what Paul means in Romans 4.25. Let's look at that. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. <clears throat> He's talking about Christ here in Romans 4.25. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Some commentator has said that the cross is the payment for our sins and the resurrection is the receipt. I think that's a down-to-earth way of saying what we're talking about here. B.B. Warfield once again said, it is because he rose again that we know the full penalty was paid, the ransom was sufficient, the work was done, the sacrifice accepted. Fourthly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is significant because it proves that believers are secure in their salvation. Look at Romans 5.10. Romans chapter 5. And verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we are saved by his life. Now, a lot of people have had a lot of great difficulty with that last part of that verse. And it's very simple, you know, very simple if one just takes it at face value. We're saved by his life. Most of the time we talk about it, we're saved by his death. Well, we are in the sense of justification. But we're saved by his life means his resurrection life, which he is living at the Father's right hand right now, where he's continuously making intercession for his people. That's why we know we never lose our salvation. He's at the Father's right hand praying for his elect right now. Turn to Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. This speaks of Christ's resurrection life, or what he's doing in heaven for his people right now. Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Literally, he lives forever to make intercession for his people. If the risen Christ is in heaven, praying for his people, interceding with the Father for them, then those people are absolutely secure in their salvation. 
Christ Jesus never prays for anything that is not given exactly as he asks. If there was something he didn't get that he asked for, then his will and the Father's will would be in conflict. The fifth significance of Christ's resurrection is the fact that Christ's resurrection guarantees the resurrection of the saints someday. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says that Christ is the first fruits or the guarantee of the resurrection of his people. Finally, let's look in the third place at Christ's resurrection and our salvation. There's a close and inseparable relation or connection between Christ's resurrection and our salvation. First of all, Christ's resurrection is one of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. It is a fundamental doctrine of the gospel. You take away the resurrection, you have no gospel. It's fundamental. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll read verses 1 through 4, or parts of it anyway. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul defines the gospel here. That is the, the bare bones of the gospel. The basic fundamental doctrines of the gospel. And it includes Christ's resurrection from the dead. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, <coughs> according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So basic to the gospel is the resurrection of Christ. It's part of the foundation of God which standeth sure, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.19. Christ's resurrection is among what Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 calls the first principles of the doctrine of Christ. If this one element is eliminated from the foundation, then the walls and the foundation will crumble. God's Word actually says that one must believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in order to be saved. Look with me at Romans 10, 9 and 10. You have to believe Christ arose in order to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Paul says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So Paul says here that open confession of Christ before men and true heart belief that Christ arose are necessary to salvation. Salvation is what the gospel is about. We are saved from sin and guilt and wrath 
by heart belief in the resurrection of Christ and confessing him before men. One who does not have the courage to confess Christ gives decisive evidence that he does not believe in his heart that God had raised him from the dead. Turn again to Romans 4, 24 and 25. In Romans 4, 24 and 25, the scriptures promise that righteousness will be imputed to us if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The terrible alternative to believing that Christ rose from the dead is a false faith and eternal hell at last. If Christ did not arise from the dead, we are believing a lie, and our faith is vain. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 17. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 here. If Christ did not arise from the dead. We are believing a lie, and our faith is, burnt, is vain. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, Ye are yet in your sins. Why do people trust in and worship dead saints or dead religious leaders to save them and not in the risen, living Savior? You know, that's, if we didn't know about the depravity of man, that's something that's just beyond understanding. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? If so, have you confessed him with your mouth before men? And I would close with this question. Would you do so today? Now next time, the Lord willing, we'll look at the session of Christ. Hebrews 12, 2. The session of Christ. And we'll explain in that study what that means. Let's stand for our closing word of prayer.